Minding your own business, helping businesses overcome problems and improve performance with Graham Knight and Richard Forkan. So, Graham, what do we call ourselves these days? Business coaches? I don't know. It was a business advisor when I started. Okay. And then that didn't But that was, that was in the 40s, wasn't it? Well, yes. Totally. <laughs> right. When I was still in short trousers, it right. seems like. And then there was a growth thing accelerator, so I started changing to become a coach. And then okay. there's a sort of non-exec director, uh, okay. business mentor. So it's a very difficult role to explain to people when they say, well, what do you do and why are you still working? But it's basically about helping business owners get their business to work. Yeah, it's providing that independent insight into a business where sometimes you just ask the elephant in the room questions because yeah. nobody else in the business might like to ask those questions. They're employees. They don't want to ruffle any feathers. Yeah. Uh, it's the difficult questions that people tend to try and okay. ignore. Uh, it's often those are the ones which are the ones that are really going to unlock the answers to how you get the business performing better than it is. So you've, you've been doing this, I think, 17 years. I mean, I've been doing it nearly five. Yeah. So what are we doing the podcast for? What's the what's the plan? Well, I suppose, um, you know, we can't deal with many, many, many clients. So it's more about how do we try and educate and just provide business owners who may have some things that are holding them back, some things they need to improve. Yeah. So 15 minutes just to try and listen to something which might give them a few ideas that they can go and test against their business. If we just talk about for a minute what sort of telltale signs we might get out of a business when we when we first start talking to somebody who's asked for some help, what sort of things do we normally see as a, an issue that would raise a flag? Now I've been doing this for so long, I do get a lot of referral business and recommendations, which is nice. Um, a lot of those referrals come from high street banks. Banks will refer companies to me, and essentially that means that they've been on the naughty step for several months now, and the bank manager is having to phone the owner and say, we can't do this step, you can very close to your overdraft. Uh, and it, it occurs to them that the business has got more potential than they're actually delivering. The sort of telltale signs that a bank manager would see are the owner is very busy, um, so they're sort of running in in the morning, jumping on the hamster wheel, running round and round, jump off in the evening, not really sure what they've achieved that day. So you have to start looking at putting in a management team, how you delegate responsibility, what formality you introduce into the business, what information do you need to drive the business that means you make more informed decisions. One of the common denominators I've noticed in lots of these businesses is owner-managers who don't have a grasp of the things you'd think they would naturally understand, so figures, profitability, that type of thing. Do you see that a lot where you go into a business and, and an owner's coal face nose up against the grindstone and not really taking into account what's going on under the covers? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, several people would start a business from scratch, but typically that's not the businesses that I get involved with. Those tend to be lifestyle businesses, which work up to a small, relatively small turnover. It provides them with a choice. They're happy with the level of income. They don't really want more income. They're not out to grow the business or sell the business. They just enjoy what they do, which is fine. But often people are running bigger businesses from all sorts of reasons. Maybe they were left the business, they inherited it from a, from a parent or a relation. Um, maybe they don't have the same background in the business that the parent had when they were running the business. 
Every MD has different skill sets. Some are good with numbers, some aren't good with numbers, some ultimately are salespeople, and they spend less time selling because they spend too much time minding the business. It's about understanding what skills the MD has and how to get them to play back to their strengths, which is how they got to where they are, and get some of the other stuff that they're spending their time on probably less effectively because that may not be what they really like to do. Um, or even things that they prefer to ignore because they don't like to do them, having confrontation with staff members, some of which may be relations, and they've got nephews working in the business or, or other people working in the business which are related in some way, um, daughter-in-laws, for example, as we know in one case. Um, and so it's very difficult to, I wouldn't say chastise, but to challenge those people about whether they're delivering what the business needs from them because they're family and therefore... You know, there are some things you don't to hold family to account in the same accountable way as you might if you just recruited somebody off the streets. I suppose if you've been running a business for many years and it's it's done just enough to keep the wolf from the door, it's very difficult to understand why you'd need to change a lot of the things that you deem to be normal to get growth or go to the next level or to, to get a better result from what you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's normally lifestyle that causes that to happen. I think if it was just people doing it, they would carry on doing it. But it, it ends up being all-consuming and they spend longer and longer working in the business for less and less reward. And that's financial reward as, as well as appreciation for what they're doing. And so they just... They get frustrated in a sense. Um, they go home, they talk to their wife or their husband about it. Sometimes I'm working with husband and wife teams and so they take the work home with them in, invariably in the evening. It's easy to say, well, you leave the business at five o'clock, but you can't because if the business isn't doing particularly well, it affects everything. So if it becomes all consuming, then that's when they get to a point where we just can't carry on like this. So I know one of your mantras is try and find time to work on the business instead of just in the business. Again, from what you're talking about there and the experiences we've both had, a lot of business owners tend to be buried in the business and, and find it very difficult to step back don't they? and just look at actually what am I doing, what am I trying to achieve and how is the business operating as a business? Yeah, often businesses start working to a plan. Planning is all important. If you, if you don't know where you're trying to get to, I mean, we were talking this morning about selling off in the car. You'd never set off in the car. I think we're going to go out for the day. We have no idea where we're going to go. Um, and, you know, don't really know when we get there. And then when we come back, we'll wonder what all that was about. And, and running a business is exactly the same, really. But the other thing is uh, to take your point about the cold face is that when you're on the hamster wheel, you're basically at the cold face dealing with things tactically on a daily basis. You don't know whether you're digging in the right direction or whether what you're doing is going to make you profitable one day or when. I mean, business owners laugh when you mention some of the things. Well, have you thought of this? You say, well, yes, you know what? We keep saying that, but we never seem to get around to it. So there's no suggestion this is rocket science. It's not like this is coming up with some really academic algorithms that's going to completely change the business. A lot of this, as um, Theo Pathetis used to say on Dragon's Den, running a business is common sense. It doesn't need great skill in the, in the sense of um, huge intellect. You've got to use a lot of common sense about what's going well, what's going less well, dealing with the less well, how can you make more money, if you're going to grow the business, grow the bits that are most profitable because that's going to get you where you need to be quicker. I agree with you that, that running a business isn't nuclear physics, it's more about doing the right things at the right time and understanding when to do certain things and what you can and can't do. But you can only do that if you're measuring what you're doing, i.e. how much things are costing you, how much margin you have in whatever it is you're selling, how much profit you're making or not. And, and the, the 
big thing you hear from business owners is I just work very hard every day <laughs> okay on what yeah and, well whatever comes my way you know and there's very little order to what they're doing so hopefully with these podcasts we can start drilling down into component parts of a business and start analyzing how to just get some order into those particular parts and how without too much effort you can start getting your business under a bit of control a lot of businesses don't have a budget they don't track themselves against the budget end of year they don't know where they're going to be in the future some look backwards from the profit and loss because that's what zero or quickbooks or sage is telling them yeah. which is interesting because that's history but you can't change history you can only change the future yeah. so so you need to look behind you but also you need to look at what your direction of travel is and where you're going to end up and when um, assuming that the business carries on at the same rate yeah. and if it, if that's not doing it for you then you need to know what you're going to have to change to cause that difference so every business has different metrics you know a professional services business essentially is based on time so then you would drill a lot into people's utilization what they're booking their time to is the chargeable time invoiceable in other words just because they're spending time on clients work doesn't necessarily mean that's earning the company a profit might be already that they've met the fixed price requirement so just booking the chargeable time doesn't do it you have to look behind that and it's the same with manufacturing companies it's the cost of sale the cost of sale in relation to the revenue but also the stock level and how, how much that's moving how much is slow moving or slow no moving so all these things are different metrics which apply to different businesses and by measuring all the right things over time you'll see which things are progressively getting better and equally which things are starting to cause you concern obviously you always have to start in month one somewhere but if you can force yourself to start recording these things and then month two month three and start to get a story and a trend you'll start to see what the next step is in whatever decision making process you've got yeah but it's amazing how many businesses that just I'll, I'll do that next month and next month and next month and never get to it and you end up as you say going back to your analogy of jumping in the car to go somewhere and not knowing where it is and driving around aimlessly for a, yeah. a period of time and then arriving somewhere who knows where without reason yeah it's the old very how, odd thing to do how do you eat an elephant one mouthful at a time you know it's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's, it's breaking things down into small bite-sized chunks which effectively don't take too long to implement and so eventually you do get to the end yeah. as opposed to thinking it's just an elephant task and it's too big to cope with and therefore you never start. Yeah. So have you ever come across a business where um, the business owner can't grasp what it is you're telling them? Because it's not that um, difficult, is it? When you break it down, most people I've come across understand it. It's just getting them to build the time into their day or, or, or their month to put some effort into it. And once they do and train that into themselves, it becomes second nature. I found one business once, um, which was a farmer that I went to see and referred by a bank. And I started going through the usual bits with him because he had no comprehension of figures at all. So I tried to get him to break down all the different constituent parts of the business in terms of where the money came from. Yeah. So, uh, so he, you know, he taught me through how they used to use trucks to go down to Southampton and pick up bananas, which they used to deliver over here, and they used to get this much a month. And then he had grants for the land from the EU because it was all part of the Common Agricultural Fund. So he got that, and then he got this, and then he got that, and the other. And I said, right, okay, so the money comes from this and this. And right at the very end, he said, ah, oh, yeah, then there's milk. We haven't talked about milk yet. And at that point, I thought, no this is never going to work with this business because there were so many different things 
that there was no one thing that you would have to do to try and improve the way in which it was going to work. So the lesson there is is what's making you money and what's not. Yeah. And then start mm. drilling down into those areas and putting the investment in where the profit is. Because if you're trying to spread yourself too thin, doing lots of different things, not very well, that's probably not going to get you a very good result, is it? Well, also looking at recurring revenues, because recurring revenues mean that if you start the year with a, I don't know, 1,200K um, budget, you know, 100K a month, if you've got... 20k of that recurring and then 30k and 40k then there's less to have to go and find every month and that you know, yeah. what people refer to as bread and butter business a- another phrase that's used quite a lot is um is earning money when you sleep so it's whether you could commoditize anything you do and sell it through some other means and produce yeah. products or ebooks or put them online and uh, and then online means that they're available internationally as well as nationally and so it extends your geographic reach and things yeah. so it's looking at all the components in the business to see which of those things and also looking at the competition you know what do their competition do how are they making money and sometimes that can yield different um, insights which you can then maybe look to apply to your own business so it's trying to maximize the memory but the key thing is is the profitability because it's the old um, you know vanity is your turnover and sanity is the cash so it's yeah uh, just just building the revenue for its own sake won't do much it doesn't even add value to the business really it's the profit that you need to concentrate on because that's what's going to affect the business valuation if you ever come to sell it so over the next 10 podcasts we're going to cover the component parts of a business in more detail that top 10 according to you and i after many hours of deliberation starts with one which is the obvious planning first thing that comes to mind is that very hackneyed phrase don't plan plan to fail yeah. What's your view on coming across people without a plan? <laughs> well, it, it often happens. I mean, sometimes you, you do have to grow a business, taking chances as they come, opportunities as present themselves. So some people are averse to planning. I had one guy who once said to me he likes to get to the traffic lights and then he decides whether to turn left or right. He doesn't want to decide before he gets there. Interesting. So um, Was he making a lot of profit? Uh, he wasn't at the time. <laughs> was it a but, psychic or something? Well, there's different types of planning, though, I think. I think the first thing is to get your understanding as to what your vision for the business is. Yeah. What are you trying to do with the business? Where would you like it to be? So yeah. it's the old gap analysis. Where do you want to be? Where are you now? And how do you get from here to there? Yeah. So at a top level, that's definitely helpful if you spend some time understanding what it is that you're trying to achieve. You also need a plan which supports a budget. Many businesses don't budget in the way they should budget, um, which is important because at the start of the year, you put the numbers in a spreadsheet. Uh, All of us can write a spreadsheet. That doesn't make the numbers happen. So then you need a plan behind the numbers to explain if the revenue is going to grow, what are you going to do to make it grow, which are the propositions, and then that drives all sorts of other things in the business in terms of marketing and sales and delivery. Having that plan in place at the start of the year and then tracking against it, at least monthly, is something where when you get to where you want to be, you know you're there because actually you can see that this is where you expected to get to and this is where you are, or you're not and why you're not. Most of the time when I talk to businesses about business plans, you get a bit of a groan and they see it as a, a big laborious task that only the bank manager ever wants to see well, and don't really get the whole point of if you haven't got a plan where, where, where are you going well I think it comes back to the tracking I, I, I mean I still have businesses where you spend a lot of time at the beginning of the year um, producing a plan which sometimes can be 30 pages long yeah. and you think well that's a bit over 
Maybe. You know, overblown. Um, but it's more overblown if it becomes a shelfware where it's put on the shelf and you dust it down next year. And in some cases, you can just change the year from this year to that year <laughs> and carry on again for another year. Because no one's bothered to uh, to actually abide by what you put in the plan. Yeah. It's just something you did at the beginning of the year. And then put it in the bottom drawer. So that, that brings <clears> us to point two in our top ten, which is cash. And obviously without a plan, you don't know how much cash you're going to need. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things that falls out from the budget planning is when the cash goes negative because you're maybe recruiting staff yeah. and you need to recruit staff before you earn the revenue from staff in a professional services business. So you need to understand what the, the worst case scenario is during the course of the year and, and, and how you're going to manage the cash through the year. But many businesses work on a how much cash have I got in the bank? If it sounds like a lot, I've got a lot and therefore I'll spend money. And then shock horror the VAT bill comes in or the corporation tax comes in or the PAYE bill goes out and then the cash you thought you had you haven't got so minding the cash is is important in terms of understanding how much of the cash in the bank is yours and also uh, where that cash is coming from. I know lots of small businesses where if you've got cash in the bank or in your hand even they'll consider themselves being you know very very profitable and if they haven't they're in trouble and they, they don't relate the two things yeah. Profit and loss to cash in your hand aren't the same thing. Being on top of your numbers generally, and that you can apply numbers to lots of areas of your business, is obviously key to understanding where you are against the plan, what you're planning to do. But there's lots of ways of recording numbers in a business and there are lots of things to measure. Uh, I think um, obviously finance is an obvious one. That comes from QuickBooks and things. But one of the things I've found is quite valuable is... Um, looking at the relationships of different numbers, so the percentage of overhead cost to revenue cost and how that changes over time, and also labour cost to revenue cost, and most people would recognise cost of sale to your, to your revenue as well. Yeah. So all of those percentages are really important because if you start to see those percentages change for the worse, then clearly there's something you either need to do, either you need to reduce the cost or you need to increase the revenue or maybe it's a combination of two. But numbers is also about productivity, is trying to work out how effective your people are if it's a professional services business yeah. and, and what the gearing is between the cost of the people themselves and the money that they're bringing in on a monthly basis. And again, for me, the sort of magic number for professional services business is about 50%. If half your cost is on people, and as the revenue grows, that means that you can increase the number of people because that 50% comes of a bigger number, um, then the business will carry on making the same level of profit. If you start to add to the labour cost without the revenue cost going up, then of course your, your percentage goes up. So those numbers, for many of my clients, though, those are absolutely the numbers that they look at on a monthly basis. And it's not as if they make any decisions based on that month alone. Because you average it over time, and, and most of my graphs are over 25 months, if the trend and the direction of travel is getting worse, then that's something you need to bear in mind. On a wider scale, point four on our, on our list is profitable propositions. So that in lots of businesses is about what do you do that makes you money and what are you doing that perhaps doesn't make you money so particularly when you're doing four five six seven different things or different product lines or different sets of services lots of businesses haven't quite got a grasp on where the most profitable endeavor is on a day-to-day basis so is it was interesting to me to see 
when you split that out for a business owner and he suddenly dawns on him that 80% of his effort is going into something that only brings in 10% of his profit, yeah. you can see the lights come on and you can see people think, well, hang on a minute, why am I doing that every day? And, and very quickly you can understand how somebody's gone off down the wrong road and without looking at numbers and looking at data, hasn't worked out that they're they're in the wrong part of the business putting the effort in. Yeah, I mean, having all this data means that you make informed decisions. Yeah. Without the data, how do you assess what's a right decision? Because there's nothing to substantiate what the decision should be. Yeah. So all these things are blunt instruments in themselves, in the sense that none of them individually would cause you to make a decision. But if you've got several things or suggesting the same thing, then probably there's some truth in that. If you're if you're in manufacturing, you need to understand cost of sale, the materials used, but also machine time, how long it takes on a machine, and does that time include setup time, does it include maintenance time, because a machine won't be available all day, every day. It's the time of the operative working on that machine. If you don't know that, what it costs to produce an item, how do you know if you're making any money when you sell it to the client? Cost you may not be anything about, but price, sometimes you can. First thing clients will say is, well, I can't increase my prices. You think, well, all your suppliers have, have increased yeah. their prices. Yeah. So why can't you increase? It's just that they don't want to have that conversation yeah. with their client. Fear, fear of rejection. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and yet, on the other hand, the question then is, well, if you're not going to increase your prices and yet all your prices are going up, then that's going to obviously squeeze your margins. And that, that means the profit's going to come out of your business and yeah. and not out of their business. So um, so it's about trying to have all these different, what are called, uh, indicators, which, which yeah. helps you understand how the business is performing. One, one of my favorite things to measure is 0.5 on our, our list, which is marketing. It's a bit of a gray area in a lot of businesses because they know they need to do it and they do it to a certain extent, but then they don't know how to measure what it's doing. And that I've met lots of marketing professionals in inverted commas who will tell me that marketing's a bit of a bit of a dark art, a bit of a grey area, and you need to be doing it, and it will be helping you. But it's very difficult to measure. And to me, it always comes down to what does it bring in? Where where are the leads? But it's important to get on top of that, isn't it? And work out what you're spending, where you're spending it, and what's it actually giving you back. Because it's yeah. very easy to waste lots of money on marketing without it actually improving the business. Yeah, it's, I always call it measurable marketing. It's, it's, it's return on investment. I mean, most marketing companies will suggest that you've got to beat your chest and tell everybody there. And if you don't know you're there, how they're going to use you. And I, yeah. I do get that. But at the same time, most businesses are not large corporates. And yeah. so the brand, although I get it, the brand is less important than survival in the early years, I think. It's more yeah. important to, to get more business in. So you're marketing to get sales. You're not marketing just to you know appear to be bigger yeah, than you really yeah. are. So every element of marketing should come with an element of measurement. So website, for example, undertaking e-shots, uh, and also how you use your CRM system as well, um, also helps you to understand your marketing, what contacts you have. Um, how that CRM becomes your IP in your business because that's all the contacts you've ever spoken to, who spoke to them last. So all of that is part of the marketing mix. And to some extent, that moves on into the next one too, doesn't it? Maximizing sales. Yeah, it's about looking at who your best customers are, your top customers, you're tiering them, uh, working out how you can get more of the tier two clients into your tier one sector, tier three into tier two, or even straight into tier one if you've got a really fast track, somebody who's now just joined you for the first time, and how you do account development 
and, and farm your existing clients as well as hunt for new clients. For, for many years, sales and marketing was, was two different things, wasn't it? And, and I think nowadays it's commonly accepted they're, they're one and the same, aren't they? I mean, you, you need to be driving marketing at the top of a pipeline to make sales at the bottom and the two things need to be joined up. You yeah. can't have a marketing department and a sales department that don't talk to each other. No, it's, it, it's interesting though because they blame each other. The marketing department yeah, will yeah, say absolutely. that they're very poor of sales not to convert all these wonderful leads <laughs> that we're bringing in, even if they're you know, yeah. uh, questionable. Uh, and sales will say, well, the quality of the leads must be rubbish because we're not converting them. Well, we shall, we shall go down that hole in uh, I'm, I'm sure we will. podcast number six, I think. So next on our list is, is delighting your customers. And it sounds like a, a bit of a, a throwaway term, but it's amazing how many people don't quite grasp the cost of obtaining a new customer yeah. versus keeping an existing one. So a lot of businesses churn customers that are obsessed with getting new customers whilst leaking existing ones out the back door, which is just the road to ruin, isn't it? Yeah, no, it, it's uh, you've got to keep the customers you've got and you've got to gain more. And also the sort of perverse of that is that what I encourage my clients to do is, is to actually talk to the clients that complain and you listen to what they say, Yeah. then there's lots of home truths that they'll convey yeah, to you. Um, and so take them out to lunch hear their gripes and then take those gripes away and then drill down to see how much those are can be substantiated in the business because that that will also help you understand what you need to do to improve well i think it's it, it's almost a given fact in most businesses as well that, that your best line into new business or new clients is through referrals from existing clients if you can keep the client base you've got very happy and even motivate them to go off and recommend you to a new client that's the quickest and cleanest and cheapest way of getting a new client yeah so i think there's just not enough attention paid in businesses to existing client bases i think the insurance companies are classic at this aren't they they, they just abuse their existing clients, clients yeah. relentlessly <clears throat> while spending millions on trying to recruit new ones but it just Interestingly, they have um, started to cotton on now that if they've got your car insurance, then they should be after your home insurance. And it's the same with maximising sales. It's mm. quite often the customers... Cross-sell. Well, exactly. Yeah. People don't know everything they do. They know they've always bought this from you, but they don't know you do other, other service yeah. lines as well. Absolutely. So you have to tell them that regularly and try and look at that... Um, famous matrix of people and services and see how much white space you have. White space, yeah, absolutely. So apart from your customers, the next next most important, or actually arguably next most important, or maybe it is the most important part of your business, is your staff. A lot of people will tell you that if your staff are happy, your customers will be happy because it all one drives the other and vice versa. So recruiting and retaining the best people, key to most businesses, particularly today, where recruiting people is really, really difficult. Obviously, recruiting them in the first place means you should have a very robust process before people get through the door. So yep. you need to, to put them through a series of tests. But the main thing is to make sure there's a process that during the probationary period, you're testing whether they are somebody that one of my clients would call a keeper. Yeah. that they've already demonstrated they've got the right team fit, they've got the right attitude, they're committed to the business. And dare I say it, sometimes that is allowed to go on too long where people become problem people when they've already been in the business too long yeah. before those things come to light that actually they're not as good as they should be, often for what you're paying them to be. Yeah. And so then it's more difficult to manage them out of the business on a performance level. Certainly, um, once people have got their security of employment over two years, but 
those warning signals should have been very apparent during the first three to six months, really. Um, and then on the retention business, it's all about making people feel valued, communicating with them, challenging them, making sure they're learning things and that their day has got a lot of variety. I think the books tend to say that it's not money that tempts people away from a business. They've already made their mind up to go elsewhere because there's something about the culture they don't like. And so you, you do have to keep working at that and, and have um, regular people interaction. Yeah. So things like um, social events and um, you know, going out for, I don't know, go-karting or, or going to the races or whatever people want to do within that business to try and keep get people together. And that's particularly important at the moment because with so much working from home, it's very difficult for new people to become integrated as part of the team. I've always found it sort of loops, or it does loop back to planning and vision. If you've got a team of people with a, a, a business owner or a director or even a senior manager of a department, if you can present a vision and a plan to that team or even that entire business, you're much more likely to keep that, that team together because they're all bolted into the one purpose. Yeah. It's when you don't communicate where the business is going and where it wants to be that you start getting this sort of splintering off of people having their own agendas for their careers. So if you can, if you can bring them with you and get the hearts and minds behind a, a vision for the business you'll, you'll keep people a lot longer and you'll keep them much happier yeah so our next point number nine on our top 10 strikes fear into the hearts of most employees and and most business owners kpis so if, if used correctly and gently in the right areas really really good tool to be able to manage a business with if used the wrong way around or to beat someone over the head or or you know, highlight someone's inefficiencies can be ruinous. Key performance indicators. It, it's a visual way of trying to track what's good and what's bad, really. Yeah. And when you're measuring people, invariably people are going to have this suspicion that this is big brother. Why am I being asked to, every minute of the day to record my time? What am I doing? But it's not that at all. It's purely looking at whether people are working effectively, whether they may be wasting time on them, things, whether it could be better utilised. It comes back to this um, number 10, really, working smarter, not harder. It's, it's trying to help people give the best of the time that they're providing. Yeah. But it's not just um, people. It's, it's down to numbers, obviously, year-on-year -year numbers, yeah. um, in-year numbers, 25 months tracking numbers. So you've got the month uh, this time last year and the month the previous year, which is 25 months. So if things are seasonal, then you've got that in that context. So it's coming up with a, a, a series of visual, what some people call rag, red, amber, green. So you, when you go through these at a monthly management meeting, you do tend to flick through the green items, which to some extent is a bit negative because you spend all your time on the bad things in the business and that's probably 10%. And the good things, the 90% go through because they're all fine. Yeah. And so you, you don't often stop and smell the roses as often as you should and applaud people that are doing a really good job. Yeah, you tend to look at the negative areas. But that notwithstanding, there's no um, better way of, of trying to tease out where you should be spending most of your concentration because that's clearly what needs to improve. Yeah. So you just need a dashboard that gives you these very quick traffic light signals as to which things are the things that are going to be you know, 
fires in the future. It's the old saying about um, moving the culture of the business from firefighting to fire prevention. Yeah. And although that's difficult at first because you're rushed off your feet and you think, well, how can I spend time investing to make things better when I'm already difficult to fit things in a day? If you don't make that change, you're never going to get off that hamster wheel. Absolutely. So you have to sort of get the mindset in that most of the fires have started because things haven't been properly planned or they were starting two months ago but weren't spotted and now they're out of control. And by the time you put them out, you've got a few others that are now... Yeah, that you didn't amber. notice because you, you were putting that because you were too yeah. busy fighting that fire and that's all your life becomes. And you did make a, an interesting point there. We'll go into more detail on when we're talking about staff, but that celebrating success is missing from a lot of businesses. Where yeah. you're exactly right, you get some negatives in a business and everyone jumps in on the negatives and that's the big obsession and it brings mm. everybody down whilst there's lots of positives. And it's really important in a business to, to get the positives and hold them up and show the rest of the business and make a thing of, of the successes that are there. Because yeah. otherwise you just go, you know, you, you disappear. We used to have a contract bell every time we won, a, won an Yeah, order. that's a bit old school. Uh, You've shown your age now. Well, no, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't disguise it. It's a good job this is a podcast. It and, is. And not, not a video. Face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Finally, work smarter, not harder is number 10 on our list. Just basically that's about working on the things that will make a difference and, and not wasting time on things that save, don't. Save time, you know, using applications, CRMs. It's using things that means that you can get more out of the working day because yeah. it takes some of the grunt out of the stuff of the work that you do. Yeah. Whether it's using templates or checklists. And it's also, if, if you're doing ISO 9001, for example, it means that you've got continuous improvement. So every time you find something, that, that were a process that works a bit clunky or it's got a few holes in it because some mistakes have managed to slip through, if, if you keep closing that net, yeah. then uh, over time, o- over a year, two years, you've probably come across every eventuality for that particular type of job that you've done and so by applying the checklist then means that you can always find mistakes before they get to the client you could be spending a lot of time and effort performing a task that's been automated a long time ago out there and you just never noticed and unless you step back from your business and look around at what your competitors are doing what the market's got to offer you'll never know it's there and there are businesses where you and I both know where you go in and you'll see something happening that's taking up somebody's entire day once a week or something. You think, well, why, why are you doing that? There's a shortcut to that answer. Well, that's a good thing about recruitment is that um, if the business is growing and you're recruiting new people, it's the old sort of Steve Jobs um, saying that you, you don't recruit good people and then tell them what to do. You recruit good people and let them tell you what to do. And if, if they come from other businesses, those businesses have been run in a different way, some of the ways that, that might be transferable. Yeah. And so you, you get subjected to some new um, ways of working and, and, and new insights, which you may not have had if you just keep the staff that you have indefinitely. I know one of the questions you and I both ask in front of a new business is, um, if you were to start this business again today, what would you do differently yeah. when you're talking to a business owner who's maybe been at it for five, ten years? And they will always come out with, well, I'd do that and this and then well, let's do that then, shall we? Yeah. And they always look at you as if you're a bit mad. That's not how I set it up to work. But you've just told me that that's a much better way to do it. You show someone a mirror and they suddenly say, 
actually, yeah, what, why am I doing that? And it's, it just takes a, someone to point it, it out. It does, it does, but it's also holding people to account. I mean, yeah. you know, business owners are only really accountable to themselves. I mean, they're, they're not accountable to shareholders in, yes. in a normal way, they're a public listed company. Yeah. So so having somebody there that, that keeps them to saying, well, you said you were going to do this, yeah. you know, why haven't you done it? And there's only so many times you can say, well, I've been too busy. It's, it's that accountability that you bring as well, I think. That if you do all these things, then the business owner will definitely see a difference in the business. And that gives them confidence to continue to do them. All right. So over the next 10 podcasts, we'll go over each one of those into more detail. And we'll try and grind out some must-dos and must-not-dos under yeah, each topic. Yeah, and hopefully some quick wins that people can definitely. sort of take back and, and see how that would apply to their business. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, there are quick wins, aren't there? Nearly every business we go in, there's 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 a... A few quick wins staring you in the face. Well, that, you have to. I mean, if you get introduced to a business that's that's in a, a difficult place financially, um, you haven't got too much time on your hands, and they haven't got too much money to spend either. So, yeah. and normally none, in fact. So you have to look for things that are going to make m- most difference in the shortest possible time to stop the cash hemorrhaging. So that that's part of the initial engagement is to look for what those are because also you want them to realize that actually the situation can be improved and sometimes i wouldn't say the owner's given up because it's something that they've if you cut them through like a stick of rock they've got the company name written right around through the middle of them but at the same time they're sometimes scared that that what they've been running for five ten years may not survive uh, and that's sort of unthinkable to them To get all the episodes of Minding Your Own Business automatically on your favorite podcast app, just click follow or subscribe.